I think a unique thing about startups is that it's just a very different work environment than really any other kind of company or organization out there. You know, when you're working at a startup, you're not just an engineer or a product manager or a marketer or a salesperson. I think the real job description is startup team member. And it requires, I think, a unique set of skills and <laughs> interests. You have to be okay with significant ambiguity and uncertainty. You have to be a, fundamentally a generalist and, and able to do whatever the company throws at you, <laughs> which often is very different than the thing you were hired to do or thing you're doing on day one. My name is Adam Nathan. I'm the founder and CEO of Almanac. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries. Spent six months moonlighting. There's nothing on the backhand. Who share what it takes to change an industry. I don't exactly know what to do next. took many goes to get right. Who built the teams that have their back. Our company is its people. The teams help each other achieve. Most proud of our team. Keeping scalability top of mind. All that infrastructure was a Yes, we've been fighting it as we grow. Total waste of time. The stories you don't read in the headlines. It's not an easy thing to achieve, Mike. Took it off the shelf and dusted it off and tried it again. To ride the ups and downs of the startup life. You need to really it's want it. Not just about technology. All this and more on Code Story. I'm your host, Noah Labpart, and today how Adam Nathan created the GitHub for dot collaboration, all in one beautiful place. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL. Do you put your edge computing close to your users? You should put your data there too. Terso makes this easy utilizing the developer experience of SQLite. Access a free starter plan at terso.tech slash codestory. Terso, welcome to the Data Edge. This episode is brought to you by our friends at MemberStack. MemberStack is the fastest way for you to launch a beautiful Webflow MVP with robust authentication and smooth payments integration. Join companies like Slack and American Airlines in serving millions of members every single day. Get started for free by visiting memberstack.com slash codestory. Adam Nathan was born and raised in New York. His parents were small business owners. His brother is an entrepreneur, so starting a business was just in his blood. He has always been interested in complex systems, working in the government and in the airline industry. But outside of tech, he's a big skier, cyclist, and works out every day. He's also a big reader and reads 60 to 70 books a year. Adam found himself inundated with messages and emails all surrounding the workflow of reviewing and approving documentation. Keying off what GitHub accomplished for developers, he wanted to create a centralized, beautiful place for business users to collaborate on documents. This is the creation story of Almanac. Well, Almanac is the fastest wiki and workflow tool ever built. It's a single source of truth for teams of all kinds, remote, distributed, in person to help consolidate your docs in one beautiful place and get them approved without meetings. It's helped get teams on average back between five and 10 hours per week. Almanac is very similar to GitHub, which is a tool that engineers use to collaborate on code asynchronously. And I got inspiration for the idea initially because for most of my career before Almanac, I was a product manager at places like Apple and Lyft and Varo. And I spent most of my time in those jobs, not 
doing the kinds of things that were on my job description or the things that I woke up in the morning to do, but instead just sit in meetings from the start of the day to the finish, constantly checking Slack and email for the incessant inbound flow of requests and and updates. And it felt like just a lot of motion and and no forward progress, kind of like pushing a ball through mud. And, And I spent most of my days often just trying to get basic answers to basic questions like, did you read the document I sent you? Or what did you think of this idea? Or did you approve my proposal? And, you know, that would take hundreds of messages and tens tens of meetings. Again, not, not the kind of work that I thought I'd be doing as a product manager. And I, I had this contrast to the engineers I worked with who used a tool called GitHub. What GitHub does is uh, store all the code people write in one place. You have a clear activity feed of how it got to be where it is. You can ask asynchronously for feedback or for approvals, and people can note their feedback, and, and it can be sent back in case it's not good enough. Everything's done in one place with a lot of transparency and structure. And the engineers I worked with were both way more productive than, than I was and seemingly happier at the same time. So I started asking myself, why don't business people, people who work in documents, have the same kind of tool? Let's dive into the MVP. So that first version of the product you built, how long did it take to build and you know, what sort of tools did you use to bring it to life? Yeah, well, the, the first thing we actually built was what we called an open source repository of templates. Most engineers don't write every line of code on their own, but they often borrow from open source components. So things like drop down menus or login screens, those are solved problems. People don't have to figure them out from scratch. And so often engineers will use other engineers work in their code. And so we thought with Almanac, the best place to get started was to get canonical versions of work that people do all the time, things like job descriptions or go-to-market templates or uh, PRD templates into a repository that was free where people could copy and customize work that was already vetted and validated by experts. And so we built what we call the Almanac Core to start, which is also a nice growth loop for us because I think today the Almanac Core has 5,000 templates in it by over, I think, 1,500 contributors. All the templates are free. They were contributed for free. It's just kind of a altruistic adventure, but it, it helped us build awareness for Almanac because the templates started to get shared. We gained, I think, hundreds of thousands of users in the first year just through the Almanac core. And it coincided, luckily for us, with the period around the pandemic where all of a sudden everybody needed to know how to do new things. People needed to figure out how to work remotely. If you remember in the, in March 2020, <laughs> figure out work from home policies. Then there was a, a big movement around DEI and people were trying to figure out that. And then you know every part of work was reinvented in the last couple of years. And so look, people were looking for both new ideas and also validated best practices. And so the Almanac Core was a, a great way for us to build really brand awareness and get people to try the product in a, in a really short period of time. Okay, let's stay on that MVP a little bit. Um, I, I'm curious about you know some of the decisions and trade-offs you had to make. You're alluding to some at a high level. Maybe dive into one or two really important ones about you know how you went about that first version of the product. And I'm curious about how you coped with those decisions. I think for some context, Almanac is a, a core productivity platform. For many customers, it replaces things like Google Docs or Confluence or even Microsoft Word. Core productivity platforms take a very long time to build. Even really successful challengers like Notion or Figma or Airtable all took between seven or eight years to get to their growth inflection point. And so, and that's because you have to basically build all the table stakes of these companies like Google and Microsoft that have been 
building and enhancing their products for 10, 20, 30 years. And then you need to find some kind of killer flaw in those products that is painful enough for enough people and and execute the hell out of it. <laughs> and so it's really hard to do. It takes a really long time and therefore a lot of patience and a lot of money. You knew this from the start that we were on a long journey with Almanac. It's not the kind of thing that you can build and people can use the way you want it to within you know, 12 or 18 months. So it doesn't comply with the normal rules of startups where you, know, you raise a seed round that lasts you two years and in that time you hope you're making several million dollars in ARR and, and then you go from there. Honestly, I wish we had the kind of business that would do that because it would have worked faster than it did. But we so we kind of knew that we were on this long path that, you know, even if we were lucky, even if we cut Notion's time in half, it would still be four or five years. We we're trying to figure out, you know, how do we create momentum and build some growth along the way? Because it's also really risky to build something for four or five years without getting really deep validation as measured by paying customers. Almanac Core and building this templates gallery was really building the product the way a user would use it. The first thing people would do, we thought, is look for a template or, or something that they may have internally so that they don't have to start from scratch. And that's a huge pain point for a lot of business professionals. The trade-off initially was, what is the first thing that we can build that we think we can get quick traction around that also can contribute to the, the broader vision of the product that we have so that we can create momentum, which is critical for the internal team. You know, they always say startups don't die mid-keystroke. <laughs> and, and what I interpret that to mean is startups don't die because you run out of money. Startups die because people lose energy, lose steam. They get tired. They'd rather go work on something that's new and exciting. And so we needed to keep our internal team motivated. We also, of course, needed to excite investors <laughs> because we needed a lot of money for our eventual vision. And so we often talk internally about this metaphor of starting to build a skateboard. Once you have a skateboard, building the bicycle. Once you have the bicycle, building the car. Once you have the car, building the sports car. <laughs> kind of all the way up to building you know, an airplane. I, a mistake a lot of teams make is just starting with the airplane. And, and you know, if you're, if you're off by a couple pieces on the airplane, it won't fly. And so for us, the Almanac Core represented like a skateboard for the first 12 to 18 months of the company. This episode is supported by Treble. This day and age, APIs are a fact of life. And as such, product and engineering teams need tooling that is lightweight, real-time, and data-rich to help them ship and maintain APIs faster. That's where Treble comes in. Treble is an all-in-one platform for the entire API lifecycle. The product offers world-class monitoring and observability, providing more than 40 data points for each request, enabling you to understand everything from performance to user behavior. Dashboards help connecting your entire team for lifecycle collaboration. Documentation is automatically generated, saving massive amounts of time for your development team with every new release. And setting up Treble? Super easy and fast. In three simple steps, you can be up and running with their platform. Their pricing is designed to support API teams of all sizes. So get started with Treble today and automate your API ops. Did I mention they have a free forever plan? Find out more by visiting treble.com slash codestory. That's T-R-B-L-L-E dot com slash codestory. This episode is encrypted by Cypherstash. Data breaches are becoming a fact of life. Know why? One of the reasons is because developers lack the right tooling to get the job done i.e. encryption at rest tools are complex and inadequate. The solution? Encryption in use with Cypherstash. Cypherstash uses searchable encryption in use technology, providing continuous and universal protection for sensitive data. With Cypherstash, you can turn your existing database into a vault, 
utilizing zero trust key management, SQL native, and with no code. Though encryption is complicated, Cypherstash is easy to use. The tool fully supports SQL via a drop-in driver replacement, supporting the query types you know and love today. And did we mention it's fast? For queries over 100 million records, you can expect additional overhead of less than one millisecond. It's a no-brainer. Get started by reviewing their docs or downloading sample projects in Rails or Node plus SQLize today. Visit cypherstash.com slash codestory and get started protecting your data. Let's move forward then. So you've got your MVP, it's working, you have the Almanac core, you've made those decisions, now you're ready to start taking it forward. How how did you progress and mature the product? And, and to wrap that question in a box a little bit, what I'm looking for is how you built your roadmap and how you went about deciding, okay, now this is the next most important thing to build with Almanac. We've done this both the right and the wrong way. I'll, t- I'll tell you what I think the right way is which is to listen to customers <laughs> and build what they want to pay you for. So what started to get us significant revenue was a feature that we built around handbooks. So we just been talking about, we had this template gallery. People wanted to start to build their own wikis. Obviously, there's lots of wiki tools out there from um, Notion to Confluence to you know hundreds of smaller competitors. So the question we were asking ourselves is, well, why would we build another wiki tool? What's different about Almanac? And what we learned is that a lot of people had wikis, but they were really tough to maintain. You know, it was often someone's job just to keep Confluence up to date. Nobody really knew if they could trust the documents inside. They couldn't figure out when they were last updated. And more importantly, they couldn't make any changes themselves. They had to like go through this person. And so it would take a ton of time to try and keep a tool like Confluence up to date. But in the end, nobody trusted it. So nobody would use it. And so people would continue to instead utilize channels like Slack or email or meetings to get basic answers to basic questions that the company bought the wiki for. We built this feature called Handbooks, which, which had suggest changes. Essentially, anybody in the company could create what we call the layer on the document, which is like a private version, mark it up with track changes and comments, and submit it back to the owner, who could then either approve and merge in those changes or, or send them back to, to the suggester. And so this allowed living documentation where anyone in the company could update it as things, as context progressed, but still left quality control in the hands of the owner. And this was basically exactly the thing that teams frustrated with Notion or Confluence were looking for. This, this idea obviously worked, but we didn't know it was going to work at first. So what we first did was built a landing page with the basic idea. We built a prototype in Figma. We directed you know a couple hundred dollars worth of ads to the landing page. And this was maybe in late 2020, early 2021. And we, we gave ourselves a challenge of trying to get 100 paying customers for this idea within three months. The trick was that customers had to sign up for the product before they even got access to it. It was just off of a demo or conversation with us. And we thought if people had enough pain and loved the idea enough to put in their credit card without even getting, without even seeing the product themselves, then we were really onto something. Then of course we had to execute on the product vision and make sure the experience is great. But the hard part about startups is not building product. It's, you know, with, with enough engineers and money, you really can build anything these days. It's finding the right problem to solve. This approach was, was great because almost immediately we saw you know, traction around customer demand. I think we got 30 or 40 different customers to put in their credit card within a month. And that gave us confidence that we were onto something and therefore could, could really invest in making the product great. You're mentioning we, and so I'm curious about team. How did you go about building your team? And, and what do you look for in those people to indicate that they are the winning horses to join you? I think a unique thing about 
startups is that it's just a very different work environment than really any other kind of company or organization out there. You know, when you're working at a startup, you're not just an engineer or a product manager or a marketer or a salesperson. I think the real job description is startup team member. And it requires, I think, a unique set of skills and <laughs> interests. You have to be okay with significant ambiguity and uncertainty. You have to be a, fundamentally a generalist and, and able to do whatever the company throws at you, <laughs> which often is very different than the thing you were hired to do or thing you're doing on day one. You have to like change and and velocity. <laughs> Moving fast is something that has to give you energy versus giving you anxiety. And so even somebody who has a great profile or background, I think often can be a mismatch for a startup. I think the best way to predict who's going to be good at a startup is to find people who have worked in startups in the past. I think the second best way is to have people do an exercise where they can experience what the day-to-day -day will be like. You can see if they can solve the kind of problems you need them to solve. We've definitely had some misses I think what's distinctive about Almanac is we have an incredibly high bar for for our team. Building a document editor and a organizational platform is like black diamond engineering and design and product management and sales marketing. It's really hard to do. That's why there's very few companies in our space. We need the team to just execute at an extraordinary level, which means we need extraordinary people. We put a lot of thought into how we recruit employees, how we vet people, how we onboard them so that we are able to you know, get the very best of this weird group of people who likes working at a startup. This episode was automatically optimized by Cast. If you run cloud-native software on AWS, Google Cloud, or Azure, you know how out of hand the bill can get. This uncertainty hurts your business, but you can solve it with Cast AI. Cast AI automates cloud costs, performance, and security management for hundreds of companies of all sizes. The platform's customers begin saving immediately and cut an average of over 60%. So before you go and sign a multi-year contract with a cloud provider or lay people off, check out what Cast AI can do for you. To get you saving even faster, Cast AI is offering a free cloud cost audit with a personal consultation. Visit cast.ai slash codestory to get started. This episode is supported by Terso. Terso is the open source edge database from the creators of LibSQL, the popular fork of SQLite. If you put your edge computing close to your users, like with Netlify or Vassell edge functions or Cloudflare workers, you should put your data there too in order to maximize performance gains at the edge. Terso makes it easy. With a developer experience of SQLite and a distributed database, you can replicate much closer to your users than traditional database offerings in the cloud. Terso's lightweight, easy to use, and free to get started. The team at Terso is offering a generous starter plan specifically for CodeStory listeners. Head over to terso.tech CodeStory and get started today. That's T-U-R-S-O dot tech CodeStory. Terso. Welcome to the Data Edge. Let's flip to scalability. And this will be interesting given the type of product that you've built. Scalability, it's important. But I'm curious about if maybe past the open source templates a little bit, was this built with scale in mind or to scale efficiently? Or have you had to fight this as you grow? I think we've had to fight it. And I think it mostly goes back to customer expectations. You know, in our space, the alternatives people have to Almanac free products like Google Docs that are 
extremely well known to teams. People are already using them. They know how they work. Even if they don't love the design or, or the UX, they're still familiar with where the buttons are and how to get stuff done. You know, they're, they're tied to broader accounts, like in Google's case, your Google login. So it's easy for people on the team. It's easy to share documents or collaborate on them. And they're super stable. <laughs> you know, they have like probably 99.99% runtime. I remember years ago, you know, Notion went down for a day and the internet freaked out and we got a wave of signups because tools like Almanac or Notion or Google Docs are, are mission critical. They're tools where people aren't just spending a couple hours a week, they're spending six, seven, eight hours a day in. I think what we've learned the hard way over time is that customer expectations are just sky high for what the product can do, how it looks and feels, how fast it is, <laughs> how reliable it is. And I'd say for you know, the first couple of years of building Almanac as an enterprise product, we had low retention because, because even though the ideas behind the product, things like version control and async workflows were really compelling to teams, the product quality just wasn't there. I mean, it was even as recent as last year, the amount of feedback on quality about the product was just deafening from customers. It just kind of felt like whack-a-mole where we would fix one thing and then new problems would pop up and it felt like the, the product was almost moving like sideways <laughs> where it just wasn't getting better despite spending more and more resources on it. There's a concept in the Toyota production system called the Andon cord that we use a lot. The idea of the Andon cord is that when there's one issue on the production line at Toyota, if you don't fix it immediately, it often leads to more compounding problems down the line. And so the best way to fix a problem is just to <laughs> stop everything and discuss the problem, agree on a fix, fix it, and then restart the line. And that tends to actually be more efficient than trying to fix a problem while everything's in motion. And so what we did last year was pull the on-down cord on, on our roadmap and change everything about how we worked. I think for probably four months, we did nothing but just fix existing features. We didn't build anything new. And we went through the product piece by piece and just refactored every component from the way navigation worked to our real-time algorithm, to comments and tasks, to every single element in our editor, tables, charts, integrations, bullets, login. We basically went in the order of customer issues. We also changed the way that we dealt with customer issues. We started on-call program. Now, 24-7, there's someone from the Almanac customer team who's available for customers. And so our customer response times dropped dramatically in a good way. The fixed time on customer issues also dropped because we had dedicated engineers resolve whatever customers were bringing up. And so we also changed to like a, a batched release system. So rather than kind of like in the early days where we would just release stuff whenever it was done, we now have a, a process that goes from staging environment where we can test stuff in isolation to a beta environment where we can, our QA team can kind of test everything that's about to be released to a weekly release where we're not just changing stuff on customers willy-nilly. And so that all of these types of small interventions help to stabilize the product quality and allow it to scale. Retention shot up to it's now net negative, or we have net negative churn, which means we add more seats than we lose. We don't really hear about customer issues in this, at the same velocity or at the same volume as before. And I think basically I had to reorient the company around supporting customers as we scaled instead of just building stuff quickly. And I think it was a, it was painful, <laughs> but I think essential. And I'm so glad we did it because if we, if we didn't, I think we would have still been building stuff but losing customers. Well, as you step out on the balcony and you look across all that you've built, what are you most proud of? Well, for one, I'm proud of the team. 
cultivating the kind of team that we have at Almanac is is incredibly rare. And many of the people I work with, I hope to work with for the rest of my career, to be honest. And I tell them this all the time that, you know, all things are going well with Almanac. What's most important to me is that we stick together across, you know, hopefully many companies over the next couple decades. The people that I work with are, are not just aligned in terms of their desire to work at a startup, but we share the same values. We have fun together. We laugh and joke all the time. We know each other's partners and families and what's going on in, in our lives outside of work. It, you know, it's, it's rare for people to, I think, find great friends in general in life, especially in your late 20s or 30s. And it's, it's really cool to have friends that you get to spend all day with. And so that's one thing I'm proud of. I think another is that with, with Almanac, we had a theory about how the best team should work on the internet. And when we started the company, we didn't just try and build a tool that was a better version of Notion or, or Google Docs. We were really trying to think through is how can teams who maybe aren't working in the same place or don't want to be on meetings all the time work together in a much more structured and transparent format. And so throughout building that product, we've done a ton of research around how the best teams work. We've interviewed at this point, I think over 5,000 people at really high performing companies like Netflix and Amazon and Apple. And we've summarized their thinking in what we call the modern work method. It's on our website. It's, it's basically our theory about the future of work, very similar to what Agile did for engineers, which is chart a path, not just about the tool you should use, but really about how you should be working fundamentally. And the whole point of Almanac is that it's an expression of this theory about the future of work, about these ideas. And so to see that really validated and people using both Almanac, but also reading the modern work method and taking its ideas and talking about it on the internet, it feels like they're proving our, our theory right about what the future is going to be like. And that's been very gratifying as idealists like myself, who cares deeply about not just growing a big startup, but what the startup does and the impact it makes on the world. Let's flip the script a little bit. Tell me about a mistake you made and how you and your team responded to it. You know, one mistake I made early on is what I call the, the art project mistake. A lot of founders often start a business with an idea of what they want it to be. You know, there's some advice on the internet to, you know, don't listen to the haters and don't worry if investors tell you no, like keep keep charging forward on your idea. And I think initially, you know, I had an idea for the product, something I wanted to build and, and I wanted to build it. I wanted to see it alive. And so I wrote these PRDs and I gave them to our engineering team and we, we, we built the thing and it turns out that nobody wanted it. <laughs> You know, the point of a business isn't to build an art project. It's not a hobby that you're doing for yourself, like pottery or painting. <laughs> the point of a business is to build something people want. And the only way you know that is if you talk to people and you get their feedback on your initial idea and then you iterate and evolve. And if you don't do that, that's fine, but you're not going to make money <laughs> and you're not building a business. You're making an art project. And I made that mistake and I think I've caught it early enough where you know, we didn't lose any people or, or waste significant money. That's something I regret and something I'll, I'll never do again. And, and, you know, what we've learned since then is how to test and validate ideas in really cheap and fast ways. I'm really bad at predicting what other people want. To give you an example, recently we were, we were building a new landing page and, and I was writing the copy for it. I spent like multiple days, you know, obsessing over the details of the header copy. We decided to test a bunch of different alternatives to the hero copy in Google ads. And it turns out that the copy I thought was best actually performed the worst out of like 10 different variants. <laughs> this happens all the time, both on the product and marketing side of the business where I'm wrong and we're wrong about what people want. And, you know, the only way to, <laughs> to check for that potential mistake is to talk to people. And 
you know, there's a direct correlation between the amount we talk to people and the quality of our product and the traction it has with customers. And I think a lot of founders, including me, <laughs> make this mistake often of pursuing their own vision rather than what customers want. So this will be fun to ask. And I'm curious, you know, what the future looks like for Almanac, for the product and for your team. Well, we are actually building a second product right now. Almanac is doing well and is is kind of on a nice path on its own and we continue to invest in it. But I think one of the one of the keys of building a high growth startup and, you know, in the end, the, the whole point of a startup is to grow fast is to catch what we call fast moving water. This is an idea from the venture firm NFX that we love. You know, for a startup to go really fast, especially at the early stages, you can't just rely on the, you know, the quality of your own product or even significant pain from customers. To go really fast, you need to be in a current of fast moving water that's driven by some kind of broader trend, whether it's new technology or a change in behavior or something, a shift in the economy. Those kinds of tailwinds can help power a product that's often, you know, not good enough or just really early stage to significant growth. And right now, the fastest moving water we see is around AI, which is, you know, just we think going to be an incredible and disruptive new technology. And so we've been fascinated by AI for a long time and have been playing with it internally. And we found traction around using AI to help small marketing teams produce multi-channel marketing campaigns really quickly. Off, you know, many marketing teams are constrained for resources, especially in the economy these days. They are asked to do way more than they have capacity to do. And we built a tool that where you can take one document, say, you know, the transcript of this interview or a white paper you have and turn it into blog posts, tweets, Facebook ads, FAQs, landing pages in under 60 seconds on your brand voice. And you can get them approved and export them and preview them all in all in the tool. And this uses the same fundamental technology as Almanac, actually. It's the same document editor, the same approval workflows, the same version control, but all enhanced with AI for this customer segment. With, with Almanac, the product, actually, more than half of our customers are marketing teams. And so we've been serving marketers for a while, listening to their needs. And we thought it'd be cool to really explore what AI can do for, for that particular segment in a really deep way. So let's switch to you, Adam. Who influences the way that you work? Name a person or many persons or something you look up to and why. You know, I, this is this is maybe a funny answer, but I'd say at the moment, Joe Biden, I think people give him a hard time and they say he's old and, you know, he kind of comes across as ineffective. But what I appreciate about our current president is that he's been in the system for a long time. And I think he deeply understands how to get stuff done in government because of it. And I think a lot of what people think about being president is like using the bully pulpit and being really extreme and, and shouting stuff is actually a really ineffective way to pass legislation and move stuff forward. And I think he's done a great job of, in many cases, like doing the thing that people don't expect him to do, like stepping back and letting senators negotiate a bill. Or recently there was a you know, debt ceiling agreement where I think that he got the better side of it, but he let the Republicans claim the initial victory because he needed their votes. A lot of those are unintuitive moves that, you know, the quote unquote smart people in the room <laughs> think are stupid initially. I think the, the extension I have to, to startup land and to tech is that there are a lot of unspoken norms. <laughs> it's a relationship-based industry where getting to know how people work is critical to success. And the faster you learn it, the better you do. You know, initially I, I learned that with fundraising where there's a, there's a way to do it well and there's many ways not to do it well. And if you can kind of crack the code, you end up 
raising significantly more than other people, assuming, of course, you have a good idea. There's a lot of people focus on, you know, disruptors like Elon Musk who break the rules, but I appreciate people who take the time to learn the rules <laughs> and figure out how things work so that they can be more effective. Okay, last question, Adam. So you're getting on a plane, and you're sitting next to a young entrepreneur who's built the next big thing. They're jazzed about it. They can't wait to show it off to the world. Can't wait to show it off to you right there on the plane. What advice do you give that person, having gone down this road a bit? Get ready for it to be hard. (laughs) Startups are like, you know, a relationship where, of course, you're not just involved emotionally, but you're you're involved financially. Most of my net worth is tied up in Almanac at this point. You know, it's it's, it's the thing I think about for most of my waking hours during the day. And uh, startups, if you're lucky, are like 10-year journeys. If you're not lucky, it will <laughs> it might crash and burn well, well before that. But in order to really make it through, I think it takes an incredible amount of grit and persistence. And like any relationship, I think the first couple of months or even year is a honeymoon phase where there's lots of excitement. Anything is possible. You're in love with your idea and maybe some of the you know early traction that you're getting. Everything's going well with your team. <laughs> you maybe just raise some money, which feels really good. And I, you know, I think many founders go through that intoxication period early on. But then, like most relationships, <laughs> things start to mellow out. Things get hard. You encounter setbacks or challenges. And I think how you respond to those moments is actually much more indicative about what's going to happen to you and your startup than than how you feel initially. And I think you need the highs as well as the lows to to get through. It can't just be a grind all the time. I compare being a founder to, to surfing where, you know, if all you're doing is paddling out and you're never catching a wave, you're going to get tired and <laughs> and go into shore. You know, you, you need those you need those moments of elation and euphoria to keep going, power through the hard times. But I think the most successful founders I know have a insane amount of grit and persistence and just keep putting one foot in front of the other. You know, as founder, most of the stuff you have to do is stuff you don't want to do. It's also stuff that other people don't want to do, which is why it lands at your feet. (laughs) I tell myself, this is my job. (laughs) My job is to do stuff I don't want to do, whether it's get on calls with customers who are angry with us or write sales outbound emails or pay bills or give someone professional development feedback. And so I I wouldn't want to deflate this founder too much, but I would... (laughs) I would, I would counsel them that, that I hope that their idea is something that they believe in so much that they will stick with it no matter what happens and, and that it's, it's something that keeps them up at night. It's, it's an idea that they can't think of anything else they'd rather do because I think you need that kind of drive and dedication and passion for it to make it all the way through. Well, that's excellent advice. Well, Adam, thank you for being on the show today and thank you for telling the creation story of Almanac. Thanks for having me, Noah. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcasting app of your choice. And when you get a chance, leave us a review. Both things help us out tremendously. And thanks again for listening. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. 
Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.